Here's the story of two dental hygienists from opposite sides of the world who became friends because they realized their professional lives were so in sync. One in Australia and one in America, both exuding their high passion for high-level patient care, both pushing back on legacy dentistry. If you are ready to revolutionize the practice of dental hygiene through science and innovation, join us as we are Disrupting Dentistry. Hey, welcome back, Disruptors, to this next episode of the Disrupting Dentistry podcast. We are so happy to have you here. This is Melissa. And hi, it's Tabitha from Australia, and we're really excited to have another Australian guest tonight and one of my friends again. So welcome, Dr. Melanie Hayes. Welcome, Melanie. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm going to do a little introduction for people who don't know who you are, and I don't think there's many people that don't, but I'm going to fill them in a little bit about who you are. So Melanie is currently the Head of Work Integrated Learning in the School of Health Sciences, and she'll explain to us what that is in the Faculty of Medicine and Health. Her role involves academic leadership of the WILL team and strategic planning, as well as teaching and coordinating professional placement units in health sciences. Prior to this, her role at the University of Sydney involved teaching industry and community project units, which provide senior students from all faculties the opportunity to work together on real-world problems for industry partners, which I think is really exciting. We can talk more about that. Mel held academic positions at the University of Newcastle and the University of Melbourne, coordinating and teaching courses in the Bachelor of Oral Health programs and supervising honours and RHD students. In addition to her role at the University of Newcastle, Mel also coordinated an interprofessional first-year course across eight professional programs involving excess of 700 students. This course includes the core topics of academic literacy, student conduct, cultural awareness, health law, ethics, and evidence-based practice. She also has a million letters underneath her name and she has graduate certificates, she's got a PhD, she's got a Bachelor in Science, a Bachelor in Oral Health, she's got a Master's in Education, she doesn't sleep, she just collects letters, I'm pretty (laughs) certain, and she has a number of published papers. So we have the rock star dental hygienist on the podcast with us today, it's pretty impressive, but let's take it back to the beginning and can you tell us how you got into dental? Sure, I can. But just before I start, I'll say, you know, if ever I'm feeling down, I think I'll just like replay that little introduction to to myself. (laughs) Make me feel good. (laughs) Thanks, Tabitha. (laughs) Um, So how did I start my dental career? Um, I actually started out as a dental assistant. Um, So when I left high school, I was really interested in a job in healthcare. I'd always liked going to the dentist as a child. Yes, I'm one of those strange beings. Um, So I worked um, full-time at an orthodontist for a little while as a dental assistant and then I left to have my daughter. Um, And then once she was a little bit older, I started at a general practice part-time. I had a boss that at that stage really me to study some more. So um, here in Australia, we can get um, qualified as a dental assistant. So I started out getting my certificate in dental assisting. Um, And then there was a brand new dental hygiene course starting at my local university. And yeah, my boss really encouraged me to apply and, and I got in and the rest is sort of history. Pretty good that you had a boss that really um, wanted to champion you. Oh, definitely. And I i don't know if at the time I would have made that leap myself. It really was that, that sort of idea that, oh, you know, you're capable of this, look at what you've done, you know, you are going to want more than, than being a dental assistant and, yeah, it definitely pushed me in the right direction. I think it's really interesting when we have, like, mentors like that early on in our career I, I see a connection with that because it's like the more I meet really driven hygienists who are doing so much, um, I don't know as much as you, Mel, because that that intro was kind of ridiculous and you are doing so many things. But like those of us that are, are like a little more high level or driven to do more, 
there's a connection where I keep hearing like Tabitha has this great story about her mentor right off the start. And I had great mentoring right in the beginning too. And I feel like that might be like a connection with more driven hygienists. Oh, I would definitely agree. And I think, you know, when I think about then when I sort of moved on and, and did some more study, you know, I've, I've heard stories of hygienists who talk about how, you know, their boss doesn't know why they're doing this extra study or won't give them time to do the extra study. And my boss was never like that. He was always like, this is amazing. Like, you'll actually be the real doctor in this practice and, you know, was quite supportive. That's awesome. So can you tell us, you graduated BOH. Mel was actually the year above me at university and then you went straight to doing your honours. What made you make that leap to go, okay, I actually want to, go higher straight away and go into the honours? Yeah, I actually, when I finished my degree, a lot of people asked me if I would do honours and I was like, no, I'm done studying. I just want to go out and practice and earn some money. And then almost immediately on starting practising, I was just like, I just miss it. I, you know, I want to know more. I want to do more. Um, So I went back and had a chat to um, the professor at the university at the time and I was like, so tell me a little bit more about what this honours year actually involves. And she's like, I knew you would be back. Um, She had a a list of some honours projects um, and I decided to look at musculoskeletal disorders in dental hygiene students. Um, And this really interested me because, you know, I was always the student that got tapped on the shoulder for horrendous posture in clinics. So... I sort of immediately saw an area that was of personal interest to me but would be of interest to the profession as well. And you've really, you know, you've done the true academic timeline. You've been the head of, you know, part of the discipline of hygiene and now you're in integrated health. Can you explain what that means, what your job is now? Like what what do you do (laughs) to people who aren't academics? Explain it to us. (laughs) Sure, sure. So um, my role is involved in work integrated learning. So for anyone that's, you know, done a a hygiene or an oral health therapy degree, work integrated learning is really all of those aspects that tie the theory that you learn to the practice. So think about all the simulation that you do, all of the, you know, placements, any of the maybe health promotion projects that you do. Um, that's really what me and my team um, do in our roles. Um, it's just that I've moved to a department where it's all of allied health professions. So we have physio, we have occupational therapy, we have speech pathology, and but we're all working together in as a, in as a team to provide these work integrated learning experiences. So I guess it's sort of it's an it's an interdisciplinary role. So we're learning sort of from each other as well. And so does that mean the students are getting a more like holistic view as health as well through that? So they're they're learning how to cross-refer and work with each other more as students as well, like looking at patients and thinking, actually, I think I need to work with the physio with you and these. Is that bringing into it with the student-wise? There is an aspect of that. Um, I certainly sit on a faculty committee which is focused on um, interprofessional practice and we look at how can we tie interprofessional learning and teaching and education into things like, you know, the classroom, into simulation activities, into placements. And so um, we have a a bunch of strategies that we use to get the students to work together. Some of them are like big one-off events, like we hold a thing called the Health Collaboration Challenge, which which gets students from all the different disciplines together to work on cases in multidisciplinary teams. Um, I love that. Yeah. And then, um, but we also have things that are really embedded in units of study. So I know last year and and then this year again with our occupational therapy students, you know, we really encourage them to look for interprofessional experiences on their placements and then reflect on those, write about those, think about how to influence their future practice as well. 
I kind of like I think that's exciting and then I also feel semi-annoyed that I didn't get it (laughs) in a super selfish brat way (laughs) but I'm like oh listen Tabitha we're part of the reconnection of it so you're you're good you're good (laughs) a little you know Annoyed, <laughs> but I think that uh, when I go, I go to a lot of unis for work and see different programs and stuff that's going on. And I am so excited for the students that are coming through for some of the things they're getting to see and do, and and how much more well-rounded. And I don't mean that as a slight against the education that I got. It's just that we weren't there yet. I I'm part of that learning journey, and it's just evolving and growing. And I just think watching how these programs are growing and evolving is really exciting for those future students. And I'm really happy that they get that experience and that I'm watching our profession evolve like that as well. Like I find that exciting. And it is it's amazing. I say to my students all the time, you guys are leaving this program so much smarter than I was with so much more knowledge and so much more understanding of periodontal disease and and the microbiome. And so I'm like, you guys are just going to fly with this. Like you're going to take this profession to the next level because you are coming out so much smarter than like our generation did. So it's, it's the sky's the limit for them. And it's, it's a really exciting time for dentistry and medicine to, to finally come together. Yeah. So one of the other reasons why I really wanted Mel to come on this week, because one of the big things that she's been a massive advocate for hygienists and OHTs in Australia is is leadership and talking about career opportunities for us and what we can do. And um, she's been someone that obviously has led by example with looking at how your career has progressed and changed in the education and being one of the first hygienists to do a PhD and really inspire us all and say, well, we can do that. <laughs> I think that was really exciting as well. But I think let's talk about mentoring and how important it is to begin with and, and leadership. So I think you've been heavily involved in that. So maybe you want to tell us a little bit about what you've done and, and how it can really benefit people. Yeah, sure. I um, I, I just think there's so much to be said for building other people up. I, You know, I, I've never drawn myself into this whole philosophy of, you know, pushing other people out of the way so that, you know, you can get to the top. I think, you know, leadership is really about helping other people and bringing other people along with you. Um, And that is where the mentoring comes in as well. So um, I have always been really interested in career development. I mean, I think like you sort of introduced me, Tabitha, I've had a really varied career so far. You know, I've done a lot of different things. I've done the clinical practice. I've done the research, the teaching. I've done a bit in management. You know, I've done all of those different things. And so people would come to me for pieces of advice around, you know, what they do in their own careers. And and I never really felt qualified, which is why why I did my master's in education and I majored in career development so that I could, you know, have that knowledge and pass it on to other people. So, you know, I think we really need to be supporting other people. We need to be thinking about, yeah, how we can bring others along with us. Um, I'm a really big advocate for career development programs and mentoring programs to, to help people in the profession. And I think, our professional associations and our universities probably have a pr- pretty big role to play in that. Um, yeah, I hope that answers. So you're a dental hygienist or an OHT sitting at home and you think um, I'm feeling burnt out from clinical work or I'm, maybe this actually wasn't what I thought it was going to be. Like, do you mean for some people it's not going to be the passion for them and stuff like that? I think sometimes people can feel a little lost because our degree is very specific in our skill set, and I think they're not. I don't. Think, I don't believe they're right, but they think I've got no other skills than treating a patient. So, what advice would you give that person that's maybe listening? Because we have a lot of people that are feeling like that who are probably listening today and going, "Yeah, I'm feeling a bit stuck, and I don't know what to do next." Firstly, I think you're right. I think hygienists and oral health therapists have a lot of transferable skills that they don't recognise that they have. Things like 
you know, critical thinking and problem solving and communication skills and, um, you know, digital literacy, all of those skills that we learn throughout our degrees that we can actually apply to other career paths. Um, but the part that I find most frustrating is that I do think our degree programs could better prepare students for alternate career paths. Um, I think they do a great job at preparing people for clinical work, but not so much, you know, the other um, roles that they could take besides patient care. So things like uh, education or research or industry, health promotion, policy work. You know, we need people in our profession to be entrepreneurs or advocates for our profession as well. Um, and I think one of the things that our degree programs are forgetting is that people no longer have one job for life. Um, you know, there's a lot of research to show that individuals will tra transition through multiple careers and they'll need to adapt to the changes. So um, I think if we can embed career development and mentoring, you know, we can not only help our graduates have longer career satisfaction but also contribute to the credibility of our profession and the reputation of hygienists as well. Um, I mean, the possibilities for our graduates are really limitless. Um, I think, you know, find an area that you're interested in and start small. Chat, chat to someone who works in the area, find out what they did, do some reading, do some CPD. You know, you don't have to take that giant leap and sign up for a PhD, although... You absolutely can if that's what you want to do. That's a possibility. Um, but, you know, you, you can take small steps to find the path that you want to go on as well. Yeah, I think there's we're underutilised in public health and, and, and health promotion because I think that in general oral health isn't put high enough there and then, you know, how great would it be to see, there are definitely people there, so I don't want to underestimate the people that are already there, but how great would it be to see more hygienists and OHTs in those roles really advocating in policy and promotion change? Because I think there's still a lot of work to be done, unfortunately. No, we definitely. have the same, same issue here in America. We are definitely underutilized when it comes to the public health need for oral health and just you know, all the studies that have been done with um, our, our couple of our major insurance companies ran internal studies of their own um, clientele and saw that there was a reduction in, in expenses and in emergency room visits and overall medical expenditure when those patients had regular periodontal treatment. So we are completely underutilized. And I would love to see how, you know, obviously globally, we could break out into this role, into these roles to help the people have more patients that we're trying to serve. Yeah. And so that person that's thinking, I don't know which course to take, it would be really good if there was more of a structured way for us to get information about health promotion or public health and making those decisions. I think it would be great if we had even so, like, you know, doctors do internships and we just get thrown out the door. You graduated, goodbye. <laughs> that's a great point. That's what it feels like a little bit. Like I remember my first day walking into private practice going, oh, God, I don't know if I'm ready for this. And then depending on the practice that you go to, there might be great mentorship or there may be zero. And that's what I think I would really like to see a change in is some structured mentorship post-graduation mm -hmm. um, because I went to work for someone that I really liked as a person and we had been friends for many years but he wanted to leave me in a room and never speak to me. <laughs> and I was just, I just felt like I wasn't growing as a clinician. I, my skills weren't getting better. Um, I was quite panicked some days. And then like, and I left him, not because I didn't like him and not because I didn't think he was a good dentist, but because I wasn't getting what I needed. Now, if I went back to him now, 15 years later, I'd be like, yes, yeah, wait, great, go speak to me. Like, I'll be over here. But like, he wasn't great for a new grad and I think we need to learn how to ask for what we need from an employer instead of just being grateful to get a job we need to actually learn to say this is what I need on my first year out like how are you going to support me in, in my continuing of growth but too I think mm -hmm. if we go back to that whole idea of you know interprofessional practice if we're you know, whether it's we're working with a dentist or we're working with other health professionals maybe sometime in the future, it's about everyone 
having an awareness of, yeah, what everyone's roles are, what their capabilities are, you know, what the the potential for those people is as well. And if you have that that understanding and you've you've learnt together and you've all graduated together, then that might help some of that that aspect of mentoring as well. I have a question. Do you in, in Australia do the dental students and the dental hygiene students learn together? Are they kind of like working interprofessionally in uni? I, I suppose it it, it depends. It depends where you um, where you look. I suppose um, there are some programs that are set up, you know, say dental hygiene or oral health programs that don't have an attached dentistry program, so it's more or less possible. Um, even at the ones where there is an oral health and a dentistry program, you know, there are quite a lot of barriers. Um, things like chair space um, or lecture availability which which make it challenging it, it shouldn't be impossible um, but there are a lot of barriers in the way which which do make it challenging yeah because we have the same thing over here the, this um, program that I'm a part of is a standalone dental hygiene program and I, I wish that we like I kind of look at it like if we can't be more collaborative in our learning to work together right from the beginning, then that's also another barrier that helps prevent us from being more collaborative with medicine. And it would just be nice. I think it would be smart that dentistry and dental hygiene learn together so that they could really embrace that relationship that is so integral to the patient's overall health. Mm-hmm. I think we'd be more of a team environment if we, because some dentists don't even know what we do. <laughs> this is true. I've been to interviews and they're like, so what What do you do? Yeah. What exactly am I hiring you to do? <laughs> but I think it would be nice to have. Uh, my dream would be that everyone has to do the hygiene or OHT program and then you can choose to do dentistry as your postgrad. But if they all trained to do preventative first, I feel like that would change a lot mm-hmm. of things and the respect for what we do. I don't see it happening, but, it would. It, you know, that's my, my pipe dream. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, I just think it would change how a lot of dentists felt about hygienists and OHTs if they actually did that work first. Mm-hmm. And so it will never happen. No program's going to make that happen, but <laughs> we can wish for it. We can. One, day, one day, Tab, when you're in a position of power and you set up your own program. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'd be terrible in a position of power. <laughs> Hear that evil laugh. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's so funny. Um, Mel, what's something that you wish for new grads? Oh, something I wish for new grads. Um, I wish that, wish for them or wish, I'm just thinking, what I wish new grads would realise is that they can really think think thoughtfully about where they invest their time and energy for continuing professional development. Um, I think over time I've to sort of see how people or how hygienists and OHTs use their continuing professional development and, you know, for instance, here in Australia you need 60 hours over a three-year period and some see it just that box ticking exercise how can I get the 60 hours for minimal expense and minimal you know effort and just make sure that I tick the box so that I can keep registering whereas I think there's a real missed opportunity there I think if you take some time to carefully reflect on your practice and think about you know where do you need to develop your knowledge or skills or what areas are you most passionate about I think you'll actually get a lot more out of your continuing professional development and I think that will help you long-term with your career satisfaction as well. You're talking to two CPD junkies here, so we're (laughs) not with you. But I think one thing is difficult and I think you're good at this because this is something that you have done for a job is how do you think a new grad especially, they're lost in the sea of CPD, how do they critically appraise what's good CPD and what isn't good CPD? What's your advice for that? Oh, that's a challenging one. Um, 
sometimes it's hard to judge until you're actually in the room listening to what's being delivered. I still remember um, once uh, this was uh, would it be over 10 years ago now, I remember attending, it was like a dinner lecture. We we're all sitting down having a nice meal. I happened to be at a table with a bunch of my recent graduates um, and someone was talking and, and they were very charismatic and, you know, some of the stuff that they were saying was very interesting but I was getting increasingly frustrated because there was no references on the slide. There was no reference to the evidence base that was sitting behind any of the information that was being presented. And, you know, I could see everyone sort of lapping it up and really enjoying it. And in the end, I turned to some of my graduates and I said, you know, okay, what did you think of that? And, you know, again, they commented on the the charisma and how wonderful it was. And I went, okay, now think of critically and tell me what was wrong with that lecture and it took them a little while but one of them piped up and went I don't remember seeing a reference on any of those slides and I'm like bingo like how do you know where any of that information was sitting how do you know what the evidence base is there so um for me it's about looking at whether the information that's being presented is evidence-based and that can be really hard to determine from an ad that's, you know, in a magazine or a fly or an email that you get. Um, the other thing I do like to look at is the credentials of the people that are presenting. Um, some people do sort of get on the circuit because, you know, they are a charismatic speaker, but they don't necessarily have the expertise to talk on a specific topic. And so looking at, you know, what is expertise where have they got their experience from what training have they had you know if it's a research-based you know CPD looking at you know where the research has been conducted and and looking at the credentials of the people that are presenting and then probably also looking at the credentials of who's delivering that continuing professional development as well so you know I think we can be really trusting of um you know, our professional associations, I think they really do have our best interests at heart. Um, it, it's probably more some of these, you know, private providers that are maybe looking to make a dollar out of the fact that we all need to get continuing professional development points. So, yeah. So in America, Melissa, you've got an accredit. We don't have an accreditation system in Australia, which I, I think would be good to have. But what, what do they have to do to get accredited CPD in America? Or is it just money back? It's, it's, it seems, I, and I do not have expertise in this. I have not actually applied to do this myself. Um, but from what I've heard about it is that it's, it's basically, it ends up being money based. There is, um, you do have to have scientific evidence in order to support it. You can either get an AD, uh, a, a PACE or a, um, SERP, yeah. I believe. But, um, you, you, it ends up costing money, but there is there is a level of you need to have the scientific evidence to support it. And and what I've found as a presenter is that certain organizations who you work with are really they they really make sure that you have that um, evidence backing your statements. And others are kind of like, yeah, sure, we just want you to present, and they don't really look into that. So I'm always appreciative of the um, organizations that are really pushing for the science. Um, but you know, it's, it's, we see this Tabitha in, in implant dentistry all the time. There's so much that goes out there that's not supported by science at all, or a lot is just being regurgitated about very old science. So it's really hard for newer, um, clinicians to discern the difference. And I feel like as hygienists too, we kind of get stuck in that. Well, you know, my doctor said so, or the periodontist we work with said so, and, and we use that word as, you know, law, but we have to do our own research and we need to dig into the science and, and make sure that those words are supported by the latest evidence. Yeah. Do you, what do you think if we brought in an accreditation system in Australia, Mel? Um, I mean, I think it would certainly have some value. I think the problem is the workload it would generate for our current dental board is probably not it's not a sustainable model. They're, I they would have to sort of delegate those responsibilities to another committee or another, you know, organisation to be able to regulate it. 
yeah. No, I definitely think um, it's hard. Like I've gone, I've turned up to CPD that I've been like super excited about and then the same thing got there. I'm like, there's no references or, yeah, like I do remember when this paper was written but it's now, you know, we've evolved and it's been changed. Like Melissa and I say this when we're talking about something. Don't quote me in five years. I may not believe what I'm saying because it's <laughs> I, I, I wholeheartedly believe today but I may not in six months' time, I may not in five years' time because the science is going to change and we are going to learn new things and we've got to make sure that we are keeping a top of it's not 1970 information that we're trying to put into into 2021. You know, some of it still stands, but, but some things are changing and moving on and we need to make sure that we're evolving with it. Oh, my God. Oh, I mean, dentistry, I'm sorry. I was just going to say dentistry has changed so much in the 20 years that I've been a part of it. I can't imagine doing what I did when I first started to, compared to now, like, you know, just crazy. Yeah. I mean, it would actually be, I often stick my research hat on and think, oh, that would be interesting to research. And one of the areas is, you know, what sort of continuing professional development are people doing and why are they doing it? To me, that would be super interesting i know there is a bit of research here in australia looked at australian dentists and the type of cpd that they do but i don't think there's been really anything that's looked at hygienists or ohts and how or why you know they're choosing the cpd that they do yeah it's um i'd like to see it regulated a little bit just to see like because in america you can only do so much online can't you Unless it, it actually goes state to state because we don't have one national license. So we, we are individually licensed with the states that we live and work in. So like my state, you need to do 20 CEUs per every biannual renewal year. And only certain amount of them can be done online. And there are three or four courses that are mandatory for you to have within those 20 CEUs every biannual period so and then another state could be different with their regulations because like I also hold a New York license and that's every three-year renewal so that the CEUs for that are a little bit different as well so it just really it, that's another problem that we have here in the U.S. it would be nice if we had one national license and everybody followed the same because it's it's kind of silly that um, you can be in one state and the standards are one way and then you cross the state line and the standards are different and it's the same profession. It definitely is one of the, the nice things about Australia having one national registration system and even as someone who now works with a range of health professions and they all sit under this one regulatory authority, even some of the things around continuing professional development, there's quite a lot of similarities even between other professions as well. So, yeah, it's good to all be on the same page. Absolutely. And so... Um, something that's changed significantly in Australia is we can now extend our scope through continuing education, um, which we weren't allowed to do before. But it's definitely opened a can of worms in some ways, um, with, in certain ways. So, Mel, how do you think people, so new grads can maybe feel a bit confused by that, what that means? How do they understand what that means for them? I guess I always come down to the fact that your degree trains you to be a competent clinician. So, um, you know, I always say to graduates, you know, you don't learn, you know, everything during your degree and then come out a complete expert. You know, I feel like you actually learn more in your first year of practice than you ever do during the, you know, three years of training. Um, in my opinion. Um, but so you come out and you come out as a competent practitioner, but you need to build on your proficiency and your expertise. So it really is about building on the foundational skills that you already have. Um, so thinking about what you learn at uni and whether, yeah, some sort of CPD course um, builds on that learning. Uh, the other thing I think we probably don't enough um, stock in is trusting your gut like if you have to ask about whether something you know is within your scope or is something that you can train to extend your scope and you're really not sure then it's probably not right um, you know I think we do so much reflection during our undergraduate degrees that I don't know we just see it as a task that we have to do but 
it actually teaches us a lot of skills that we can use throughout our career and that's that's when your gut kicks in and yeah if your gut's sort of not sure then it's probably something you shouldn't be doing yeah <laughs> and what's something you'd like to see, a way you'd like to see our profession move is there is there things you'd like to see happening for our profession globally and nationally um I think globally there's still a lot to be done in terms of hygienists getting doctoral degrees. I know, you know, we've got quite a few here in Australia now and I, I've seen it happen in the Netherlands and a few other places, but it's still um, it's still not a common occurrence. And um, I gather from chatting to some of my other colleagues in the US that, um, you know, it's quite challenging for a hygienist to, to do a doctoral program and there aren't really that many doctoral programs around that a hygienist can can jump into. So I'd like to see that um, part of our global sort of education expand. Um, I think from personal experience, I think I would just like to see more more of a more of a community of practice, I guess. So I think you sort of talked a bit before, Tabitha, about feeling a bit on your own at times, particularly in that first role that you had at a practice. And, you know, I think that's something, there's a lot to be said for having a community to support you in your career and whether that's being a part of your professional association or a local study club or, you know, keeping in touch with people that you graduated with or people that you met at conferences, you know, Clinical practice can be quite lonely if you're the only hygienist in there. And if you've got a good community, you can keep connected, you can stay in touch with what's happening in the profession. Um, it can be positive for your well-being as well. And then you already have a network of people if you decide to explore options other than clinical work as well. So, you know, um, if you increase your social network, you're going to increase the opportunities that are that are open to you. Um, and so I, I think that's another area that we could all work on a little bit. So how do you think if someone's listening today and they're thinking, you know what, I want a mentor, what, what, what's the next step to get, you know, if they haven't luckily found themselves just organically that mentor, what's that next step for them on, on seeking someone out to do that for them? Uh, there's probably a, a few different avenues you could pursue. One is seeing if your professional association has some sort of mentoring program or if your um, the university or the college that you've graduated from has some sort of mentoring program. Um, sometimes they have things in place and that's a really easy way to get in. Um, the other thing you can do is... Um, you can start to make a list, a list of people that have been contacts for you along the way. And so it might be university professors, it might be people you've worked with, it might be people you've met at conferences, you know, make a list of those people and and out to some of them and see if, you know, they have something to offer, whether they would be willing to be a mentor for you. Um, and probably the other way that you could approach it is if you do have a career path in mind, um, reach out to someone that's sitting in that role, you know, look for the job that you want and find out how people got it. And, you know, I think a lot of people, you know, are willing to to help others and to mentor others and, you know, at, at the very least have a coffee or a Zoom conversation about how they got the career that they got. So, you know, I, I think there's a there's a whole bunch of different ways, but they're probably the three that come to mind. And if maybe you're thinking, listening, actually, I want to mentor somebody. <laughs> what skill, what do you think are the top skills that you, when you're self reflecting, thinking, actually, what what skills should I have, and, and what should I bring to the table to help that person? Yeah, I mean, I suppose it depends what the mentoring relationship's about, the most critical thing's probably setting goals with that person so that you're really on the same page. I mean, I've been really lucky to be in positions where I've been mentored by someone much more senior than me and where I've mentored other people as well. And I think as long as you're really clear on what the goals for the mentoring relationship are, then 
um, you know, that sort of sets the stage for a really successful mentoring relationship. Um, the other thing is just to be really, I guess, authentic and I don't ever think a mentoring relationship is about you telling someone else what they need to do. It's sort of being that supportive person. Um, being a really good listener is probably a really important skill for a mentor to have. Um, and, and just being available, I suppose, setting those ground rules about, you know, what does this mentoring relationship look like? Ah, uh, Can I pick up the phone and talk to you, you know, on a whim or are we going to have you know, a Zoom meeting once a month or, you know, what are the what are the ground rules here? Um, and all of those things can help set up a really successful mentoring relationship. I think one of the things I found hard when I was a new grad is, and even now, like this desire to be perfect and you're never going to make mistakes. And then people around us don't ever talk about mistakes they've made or failures or things like that. And I think I'd like to see us more open with the struggles that we've had and sharing that so that when people are struggling or having a bit of a hard time, it's okay. Like, you know, we all have a bad day. We're all human. We all make mistakes. Um, that's actually really normal. And sometimes mistakes can be a, a massive growing opportunity where you go, well, I've learnt what I need to go learn more about or I've learnt what I need to improve my skills with or you know there's definitely still things that I need to learn and, and grow and improve on as a clinician but I think sharing our mistakes and and showing that even if someone might look at you and think oh wow like look at you you've got like the greatest job well we still have bad days and we still have really bad things going on <laughs> absolutely and I think that I think that I don't know. We have this like perception of we have to be perfectionists in dental hygiene. It kind of, and, and we're not very nice to one another when we talk about something or ask for advice. Like I see that in a lot of the forums of just people getting attacked when they're asking for advice or like, why would you do it that way? Or, you know, everybody kind of has this my way or the highway kind of mentality I see often. And it's, I think there's so much power in the struggle, you know, because we all have struggled. Like, Tabitha, when you were saying earlier that when you first were done with your education and you felt like you were, you shouldn't be in the operatory by yourself. I mean, I felt the same exact way. I used to imagine my one professor was standing behind me to make me feel comfortable enough to treat my patients, <laughs> just like when I was in clinic at school. So, like, there's so much power in, in, the learning portion when you make mistakes and it's okay to say, well, we tried that. It didn't work. Let's try a new path. Like that's, that's where expertise grows, you know, and it's okay to be vulnerable and it's okay to say, I, I don't know enough yet. I'm still learning. Like the students say to me at school, they get upset when they don't do something right. I'm like, this is called a learning institution, not a knowing institution. Like this is what you're here for. <laughs> so it's, I just wish there was a way that we could like ignite that change that it's okay to make mistakes. Like, yeah, there's certain things that are drilled into us because we are healthcare professionals and we need to value our patient's health and make sure that we're super diligent on things like medical history and making sure there's not contraindications to the care we're providing. And I think maybe that's where some of this comes from. I'm not really sure, but a lot of the feedback Tabitha and I have gotten too, is that in episodes where we just talk about our struggles people connect so much with that because I feel like industry-wide it's not something that we openly discuss and we need to well we talked the other night Melissa because I, I had quite a difficult patient the other day and they flustered me and the appointment went really badly and because I got flustered by how abrupt and rude they were being to me and then and, you know, we, I've been in dentistry for 22 years now and patients still fluster me some days. And, you know, it doesn't happen as often. It doesn't happen very often. But I know that I, I at the end of the appointment I felt disappointed because I felt like I didn't really do the best job for that patient. But I also felt really flustered and I was having a really bad time and I was hoping she never saw me again and I nearly cried at the end. Like it was just awful. And then I was like, well, you know what, I can take from that. Well, maybe I'll look for some CE on dealing with difficult people because that's like I need to not get flustered in there. But at the end of the day, we're all human as well and there will be days where patients just you don't click and things just don't go well and it just 
was getting worse and worse as the appointment went on. I was like, <laughs> it was funny after you shared that with me, I had a similar experience. <laughs> and I just, I felt myself getting very irritated and I just took a breath and I was like, don't lose your cool. Don't lose your cool. You know how to manage this. And I got it back. So thank you for that conversation because I almost lost it, but I remembered you and I was like, nope, I'm going to get it back. I'm going to center myself. But, I think but it's not really even. Hmm. I was just going to say you two are great at self-reflecting at, you know, the situation that you found yourselves in and how you reacted and how you could change things. But one of the things I might add is that, you know, for those, that maybe have a little less experience, but maybe have a mentor. Sometimes the mentors can make visible what is invisible, you know, to the person in that situation. So, you know, it might be around, you know, yeah, how to deal with that difficult patient or, you know, I was thinking about my own mentoring experience where I had a mentor and we were talking about my career progression as an academic. So, you know, serious things like research and teaching and leadership and all of those sort of things. And then eventually he just sort of said to me, when's the last time you took a holiday? And I was like, oh, uh, I don't know. And he's like, you need to look after yourself. Like you're going to burn out. You can't do all of these things and not. And it was just something I hadn't thought of. And then I'm like, Know, with COVID and not being able to travel and those sort of things, I'm like, oh, but, you know, what a waste of time. Like, why would I take a holiday if I can't go anywhere? And then he was like, yeah, but you need to look after yourself. You can't work all the time. Take a day here and a day there. And in the end, like, I ended up taking all these, like, mini sort of long weekends and it's it's been the best and I just wouldn't have even thought of it if it wasn't for him sort of shining a light on that. So I think, yeah, th those examples you gave were great for self-reflection. And I think for those that are maybe missing that element a little bit or need to develop that, a mentor can shine a light on some of those things as well. I think that's no, a important point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead, Tabitha. No, I was just going to say, because I think I'm sure there's still things that I don't self-reflect. Do you know what I mean? Like people see things in you that you don't see and you see things in, and even sometimes it's seeing great things about you that you can't see because you're getting too stuck on the negative you know, you're getting too stuck on, oh, I should have done this and I should have done that and having someone just to give positive feedback sometimes with, but look at all the great things you did and look at how you did this and look at how you did that. So seeing sometimes we can get really stuck in that mindset of certain things and I think that's such a great point. I love too that that somebody was able, like just having the outside influence, how that your mentor was able to say, hey, you know what, you need a break because it's so true when we, if we don't refill ourselves, then we can't continue to do this good work for other people either. So it, it's so nice to have that extra set of eyes in your life that can really support you. And, and because it's just human nature, we, we look at the negative things in ourselves. We can lift each other up like super easily. But when it comes to ourselves, our brains are just like hardwired in a way that we like focus on the one bad thing and not look at the hundred of good things that we could have done that day or, you know, or oh, we should have done this better. We should have done that better but to have somebody else do that reflection for you too is I think that's an important piece of the puzzle that we often miss as dental hygienists because we may be in a practice with other uh, many other professionals, but in the hustle and bustle of your day, you're a lone wolf in that room doing your thing, working with your patients. So it, it is an important thing to be able to connect and reflect with your teammates or with, with your um, colleagues outside of the practice too. Yeah, and I think it doesn't matter where you are in your career, like whether you're one year out or 22 years out, there's always going to be something that you can benefit from having that that mentor. Um, I think that, yeah, no matter where you're kind of getting, like look at Mel with a million letters, she's still got a mentor. <laughs> well, and, and you don't have to have the same mentor. So you might have a mentor for a short time. Like I would say, you know, when I was doing my PhD, you know, one of my supervisors or, you know, both of them were very good mentors for me at that time and even post-PhD, but then, you know, you move into a slightly different role and and your needs change and where your career path is going to take you changes and so then you look for an opportunity for a different sort of mentor. So, yeah, you don't, you don't have to have the one mentor. You can have multiple mentors. That's a great point too because as you evolve, different people you know, they, they, what's that saying? Uh, different reasons, season, lifetime for people in your life. So I, I love that. That's such a good point. 
And Mel, since you're an academic and you're at the university every day, um, what kind of things do the university offer for you for looking? So like if, like where could I go if I said, you know, I want to look at different courses? You know, is there a good career advisor there that you can go see and get help with or...? Um, I can't speak for all universities, but I know um, at the University of Sydney where I am, um, we have sort of this um, professional development framework that we work with with um, someone that is, I mean, we call them supervisors, but some people might consider them to be mentors who are trained in sort of that career development counselling um side of things and they talk to you a lot about yeah like what are your goals for the future what sort of things can you do to help you reach that goal whether it be in the short medium or long term um certainly the university puts on loads of different courses and things if you're interested in developing yeah your educational skills or your research skills um i know they supported me when i was um, applying for an educational fellowship um, so I sort of wanted to to get some internationally recognised credentials um, to support my educational qualifications, and and Sydney Uni supported me in in that process. And I now mentor other people that are doing their fellowship applications as well. So it's sort of like you know, um, people give to me, and then I give back to others. Um, so yeah, there there are a range of different things, but then I guess I suppose I also still look at professional associations for trying to develop some of those things and and some of it is dental related but for me a lot of it now is education related as well so looking at some of the educational associations and and what sort of um courses or conferences um they're offering as well so what's next for mel what's the next thing that you're looking for um, I've I've literally only just started in my my role as as head of work integrated learning. So I, I started in January. So I, I think I I think there's a, a lot to be done in in the little unit I'm working with. They're a brilliant team of people, um, but work integrated learning was one of those areas that was really smashed by COVID. Um, and so I think there's now. There's a lot of work that we can do to make sure that moving forward, whatever the world faces, that our our work integrated learning opportunities are innovative um, and they're high quality, but they're also sustainable. So no matter what happens, we can um, graduate competent um, practitioners. Um, I think I'm probably done with study for a while. I think I've I've done enough um, study for now. She's done. <laughs> Um, but no I I think it's just um, embracing this leadership role at the moment and then eventually maybe you know in a a year or so's time I'll think about um, applying for a promotion or something um, looking for maybe more opportunities to develop that educational leadership aspect of of my role. So uh, one day you're going to be the dean of Sydney Uni? (laughs) Uh, Like the vice chancellor. (laughs) <laughs> that sounds really big. Yeah, it's <laughs> if you could give a piece of advice to new graduate Mel, so it's the first day after graduation, what advice would you give her? Oh, you mean me? If I could see me? Yeah. Oh, yeah, you could give advice back to you. Um, <laughs> I don't know about advice, but I'd definitely be like, you have no idea what's ahead. You think you know, but you have no idea. Um, yeah. It just gave me the chills. It literally <laughs> just gave me the chills. And and I people have sort of asked me that a bit over the years about, you know, did you know that this was your career path? Like, of course not. Of course I didn't. Like nobody could have gone when they graduated from, you know, hygiene school that, oh, you know, I'll teach in a couple of programs and I'll do a PhD and I'll do these things. And Like nobody could have known that. And I think, you know, probably for myself and maybe for all new graduates is, you know, be open to the opportunities that sort of present themselves to you um, and take advantage of the opportunities that come your way as well because, yeah, you might think you're going to stay in the same small town and you're going to work five days with the 
you know, in a very small dental practice and that's not what happens. <laughs> I think if you're, maybe if we do have a dental assistant that's listening or a HD or a dental hygienist listening, look at Mel. She started out as a dental assistant and now she's got a doctorate and she's the head of integrated learning. Like the sky is the limit for anyone that's listening and the opportunities are out there to take. So don't feel that, oh, I'm this or I'm that, I can't do that. Like those opportunities are there and I think that you're a very inspirational person to our profession, both nationally and globally. You give back so much to our community, both nationally and globally, all the time through mentoring and leadership and advice and and helping. So we're very, very grateful to have someone like you inspiring us and showing us what we can do and it's just so impressive what you've achieved and what you're going to achieve I know that there's more to come <laughs> like you probably haven't even peaked yet but like, we're so impressed and it's really it's really exciting because I love seeing you know I saw this probably someone might have saw me rant on Facebook today where someone had put up that thing a hygienist they're hot and clean teeth and I just like lost my shit and um and I I think you know trying to drop that stigma of pretty little girls in in tight clothes cleaning teeth has actually been something really hard for us and when we have people like you who uh, have doctorates and who smash people out of the water with their education and and just showing that we we can be academics and we are educated people I think you're helping us in so many ways just to get rid of those stigmas and really be seen as educated healthcare providers. Oh, thanks, yeah. Tab. I mean, I just, I I continue to try and fight the good fight, you know, because even though, yeah, like I think it's hygienists getting PhDs is a great thing, but you still smash up against barriers when you're out there and, you know, I, I still every now and again come across someone who'll, you know, see Dr. Hayes written on a bit of paper and go, oh, it looks like they made a mistake there because they know I'm a hygienist. And I go, well, well, actually, I've got a PhD, you know. So th- there is still that misunderstanding, you know, from the wider pro- um, health profession that hygienists can get things like PhDs. So I think there's still a lot of work that needs to be done about um, educating people about that. But I think the more hygienists and oral health therapists can embrace these different types of careers, like the more the more we build our reputation as a profession and the more we educate people about, you know, the great work that we do and that we are more than pretty girls in tight skirts that clean teeth. Yeah. 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 Yeah, you're definitely helping us with that fight. It's it's a fight we're going to be having for a while, but I'm I'm happy that there's people out there fighting the good fight for us and, you know, all together we're going to change that that stigma that, you know, and that's something the reason why Melissa and I started this podcast in a lot of ways is we wanted people to really understand that we don't just clean teeth and there's so much to our profession and we can change lives and we can make people healthier and we can help them and um no matter what you do, whether you're an academic like you and, you know, with a PhD or whether you're working in the surgery five days a week, you've got an impact mm-hmm. and it's really powerful and don't underestimate what your role is. We all have different roles and we're all going to take different paths, but we're all really impactful in the way that we, we do that. So um, I think it's great to be inspired by what you're doing, but it won't be for everyone. Um, you know, we can't have a thousand PhDs. All right, come on. <laughs> it won't be for everyone but no matter what you do whether you whether you choose academia or you choose clinical or you go into some other field like public health or health promotion you've had an impact and it's it's really important yeah and if you just know that you know if you're giving everything you have every day in what you're doing and you're doing the best you could do then that's that's enough and you're enough. And and we all have our own magic and Mel's doing her thing with academia and Tabitha and I are still in the clinic, but using our voices. So we're all making an impact together. Our two hands and our mouths are reaching so many other people. So we all just keep working 
promoting each other and lifting each other up, that's where we're going to really start to see the magic and the changes happen. Because we're, we're all, you have to be smart to be a hygienist. That's why they call us hygienuses. <laughs> <laughs> that's one of the ones I do like. <laughs> right? <Take> that one. <laughs> yeah, that one, that one, I've seen that one that you're talking about floating around recently. And it, it is just so derogatory. And we've, it's like, we've come so far and we can't let things like that. It's just ignorance and we can't let it discourage us. We just have to say, "Mm, you know, I disagree and this is why and rattle them all those reasons off. I mean, I just had patients recently tell me that they didn't even know that that we needed a a college degree to do our job. And I'm like, wait, what? Excuse me? (laughs) (laughs) Aren't you trained on the job? Uh, Absolutely not. (laughs) I've been asked that before as well, Um, unfortunately. But no, I think, you and Mel have both said it, and I think that should be the theme. Maybe that we always call our episode something, so maybe we'll call it that one, the one where we learn to lift people up. But I think that is really should be the theme of what you go out each day to do and just try and lift other hygienists up or other OHTs up and just try and, you know, if you're in a forum on Facebook and you see a way someone does something that you don't think is right, just think about the way you word it and think about the way you write it because it may have taken a lot of courage to ask that question and then they may not ask another question if they get if they feel like they got attacked or really really torn down or made to feel like they weren't very smart because you know they might just be stuck and just try and help in a non-judgmental way and just try and be that person that helps another person because they'll really appreciate it yeah Mm -hmm. definitely so we've probably come to the end of our gossiping episode of talking about everything and the universe we solved all the problems um just an hour look at that (laughs) thank you mel for being the superstar that you are we really appreciate it um the community the global community appreciates you we thank you for giving up your time it's actually 11 o'clock at night in australia so mel stayed up really late to do this with us Thank you. Up early in the morning to do it. So we appreciate everything. And um, yeah, keep disrupting people and keep being nice. Yes. Lead with kindness and thank people like Mel for working hard and elevating us. And keep listening, keep subscribing, keep sharing with your colleagues. We so appreciate it. And please keep sending us reviews. We love them. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Till next time, everybody. Keep disrupting.